The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. If you're new with us, new with us at Holy Cross, thanks for being our guest and for visiting us. If you do have an opportunity to uh, locate the Get Connected card in your bulletin, I hope that you'll take, take the chance to fill that out to let us know that you, that you were here. And, and it, feel free to, to mention anything on there that, um, that we can do to help you uh, learn more about who we are as a church, what's important to us, and how you can get connected to help take the next steps. There's a, a gift at the visitor information table for anybody who is new, uh, some information about us in there, and some, um, a free book, and some other things for how to get connected. Well, we're continuing in our summer, summer series through Psalm 119, and I'll be honest with you, uh, we're in our 10th week studying through Psalm 119, and I have, uh, about this point in the, in the series, thoughts have flooded my mind as to are we, are we beating this too hard? Is, is this almost done? Are we spending too much time in Psalm 119? And I'm so glad that, especially coming to this week, that I didn't get in the way of what God wants to teach us uh, through this, because this is so good. Uh, this morning, what, we're come, what we come to learn is so incredibly good. And, and I don't say that with an ounce of uh, anything that is due to my preparation or something that I have to offer because what we find in God's Word, the richness of God's Word is so good for us on this topic, and it's an important topic. And this is really the whole point of the series, that, that we would, the more that we would read God's Word, we would love it. And the more that we would love and have an affection for God's Word, we would read it. And so there would be this repeating cycle of going to God's Word, feeding on it, enjoying it, and then, and then going back. So we can see its beauty and its benefit to us. And so we're asking the final question of this summer, which is, what do we do with God's Word? You know, we looked at what should we believe about God's Word, how do we feel about God's Word, and what do we do with it? And we see an action in uh, Psalm 119. Every single stanza, remember it's a, it's, a, it's a poem of 22 stanzas. Every single stanza has this one action. The psalmist is doing this one thing and desiring to do this one thing with God's word every single stanza. And so we look, well, what, what is he talking about through and through through this whole entire psalm? The answer is a desire to obey God's word. What do we do with God's word? We, we obey God's word. There is obedience in every stanza of the longest chapter in the entire Bible. And so let's read our passage this morning. We're not going to read the entire psalm, obviously, but uh, looking at verse 57 through 64, just this one stanza. I'll give you a second to get there, and we'll read this following along together. Starting in verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes." Thinking about obedience, one of the greatest slogans, of uh, marketing slogans of all time probably, and even remains such a noticeable and recognizable slogan today is, is Nike's Just Do It. 
you know, started in the 1980s, it, was, it rose to just enormous popularity. It was this idea of, it insinuates this motivation for sports, for effort, for hard work, for endurance. Just do it. Just get out there and do what it takes. And it's very one-dimensional. This motivation is, is one-dimensional. And if you ask anyone thinking about sports or involved in sports, it's actually their motivation is quite multi-dimensional. You know, I, I run to, to, in memory of my, my aunt that I lost. I run to, to be healthy for my kids when they get older, to play with them, to be in good shape. I run so that I can eat whatever I want to eat today. Whatever these motivations are, it's, it's multidimensional. There's so many reasons, so many motivations that we have to actually get out there and do it. And when I was a child, I actually thought about obedience in this way, in this one-dimensional way. Just do it. Don't ask questions. Don't think about it. It's not important uh, about why. Just listen to what I said. Get out there and do it. And so I thought about God in this way, too. I thought about obedience to God in this way, too. What does it matter how you feel about this? Just obey God. Just do it. And it's important to obey God. But if we see obedience like this uh, in relationship to God, we are missing so much. In fact, obedience is multidimensional. The Bible gives us so much more of a colorful array and spectrum of, of delight and desire and joy and obedience to God. That it isn't just this attitude of, well, if it says it, then go out and do it. But there is so much more. And we have eight verses in this stanza that we read in this passage. And in each verse, and there are eight, in each verse we, we see dimensions of obedience. And we actually see eight dimensions of obedience. And then in each, word we, in each verse we see implications of these dimensions. Really like confessions of the psalmist. Of, he's seeing a dimension of obedience and then he has this confession. He has a response of, well, then God, this is what I want. Help me to, to be obedient in this way. And so that's what I want to do this morning, is I want to look at eight, eight commands of obedience, eight dimensions of obedience, and, then I, and, and, and I want to also see eight confessions of obedience. I have 16 points this morning, people. This is more than like my normal two to three, so let's, let's get to it, shall we? I pro- don't worry. We got, we got lunches for your kids. and <clears throat> No. Uh, first, look at verse 57. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. Obedience must flow from faith. There are a lot of metaphors in the Old Testament about God. He is my shepherd. He is my rock. He is my fortress. And one of those metaphors that is so great that we see is that God is my, my portion. He's my possession. He's, he's mine. And when it's used, it is meant to remind us of, that God's, of God's people that no matter what you encounter, no matter what we face, whether it's trouble or discouragement or confusion, no matter what happens in your life, you have a possession that transcends all difficulties. You have God himself. He is yours and, and you are his. We have a portion. I learned this as traveling to different continents Eventually, in other countries, when you get comfortable with people in other countries, they will eventually tell you what they think of America. It's, it happens. And one of the first things is, I, gotta, I have to ask you a question. What is up with your grocery stores? What is going on with your food? 
what is going on with these stores that have these you know, five-gallon buckets of mayo, right? That's what you hear, the five-gallon buckets of mayo. What is up with your portions? And they, they really see you have a portion problem, and we do have a portion problem, but it doesn't only stay to food. We have a portion problem with asking the question, is, is God enough? Is God enough for me? Is, is knowing Christ and trusting in Him, is He enough? Or do I need more? Do I need other portions of other things? And this isn't an American problem. It's a, it's a people problem ever since the, the first people. Since the Garden of Eden with, with Adam and Eve, they had a perfect communion with God, perfect relationship. God was their portion, and they had relationship with Him, full of, of peace and perfection in that relation, relationship. And they wondered, is this enough? Is God enough? Is there more that we ought to be pursuing? And so they disobeyed God, and what they had, who they had, was now severed from them and broken from them. They doubted that God was enough, and it cast all of creation into brokenness. The gospel, the good news, can be summed up in these three Hebrew words at the beginning of our passage. My portion, Lord. You are my portion. You belong to me, and I belong to you. We have 16 points, and so I'll get to this one. When, you are, when we are truly converted, when we are truly believing in Christ, when we, faith, when we come to faith in Him, we realize that our obedience is not about a, a change in the, the quantity of our religious uh, activity. Our obedience is a result of a whole new quality of relationship with God. We have a love and obedience towards God because of the beauty and attractiveness of who He is in and of Himself. We do not obey in order to get things from Him. We obey because He is our goal. He is our end. He is our portion. Because we love Him. We obey out of a a love that flows from a, a deep awareness of who He is and what He has done for us. When you think of obedience, it's easy to think, well, where, where does the Bible talk about obedience? Where, where's the best place to go? Well, you might think about the Ten Commandments. Well, these are ten rules to obey that God has given to His people, and these are very clear, very straightforward, very black and white. Do not do this. Do this. These are the commands of God, the law of God. And the Ten Commandments were, were given in the midst of idolatry. Remember that God's people were, were taken out of slavery in Egypt. They were, they were rescued, and they're wondering, what do we have now? We are taken from this place where we at least had, uh, uh, we at least had a, an, a, an idea of who we were. We had a place, and now we're wandering. What do we have now? We were better off in slavery than now in the desert, hungry. What do we have to look forward to? And God is saying, you have me. I am your possession. I am your portion. I've taken you out of slavery and made you my people. And before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he tells them this. He says, I have taken you out of slavery. I have made you my people. You are my possession. And Moses brings the Ten Commandments down, and they have crafted an idol for themselves in the golden calf, and they're worshiping it because they're wondering, who do we have? And God is saying, you have me. In the Bible 
God explains to his people that they are not to obey him in order to be rescued, but to, to obey him because they have already been rescued. I've rescued you. I've made you my people. I have, I've brought you out of slavery. So obey me. Follow me. Trust in me. Do not obey as a, as a means to an end. I am the end. I am your portion. You have me. Obey me not to get salvation. I've already rescued you. Obedience flows from remembering that God is our portion. And sins come from a place of forgetting that God is our portion. Is he your portion? Do you have this kind of understanding of of your relationship with God, that he is yours through faith in Christ? You have God. He is your portion. This word portion can mean treasure. It can mean loot. It can mean uh, after a battle, whatever is, is... is taken from that. What, what do you have in this life? And God says, you have me, and there can't be anything more than that. What are you hungry for? What are you looking for when you have everything? Here's, here's what St. Augustine says in uh, such, a, such a great way to think about this, is that he says, Lord, bring me to a sweetness surpassing all the seductive delights that I once pursued. Enable me to love you with all of my strength, that I may clasp your hand with all of my heart. You, Lord, are my King and my God. Do we have that kind of attitude? Do we have that kind of, that obedience that flows from faith in Jesus that way? You're mine. And I pursue you not because uh, I'm confused about what you think about me, but I I obey you and I pursue you because I already have you. Because I am yours and you are mine, and what else do I need? I run with delight towards you. Here's the confession, I hope. It gives you a a glimpse of where we're going with the next seven. Here's a confession for us in light of this first verse. I have you, Lord, and all of you, and you are enough for me. Is that your confession? Can you confess that today? I have you, Lord, and all of you. You are my portion, and and you are enough. Let's look at verse 58. I entreat your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. Obedience must rely on the power that comes from God. Here's another dimension of obedience. The Bible teaches that being made right with God is is truly and completely an unmerited favor from God. It is gracious because we deserve nothing but the condemnation from God Our salvation must totally be a gift. This is Paul's big thesis in the whole book of Romans. This is his point. His point in Romans 3 is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no exception. Everyone is in this place of spiritual deadness. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Romans 11, he says, it is by grace and therefore it is not by works. If it were by works, then grace would no longer be grace. Paul is trying to pound this into our minds, into our hearts. The Bible teaches us that God truly requires that we would bring nothing to him but our need. That's what's happening, what he says in in verse 58. He says, I entreat you. He is saying, I am sick with need. I am sick with need. I'm I'm a beggar before you. You and I utterly, utterly fail to obey God's word. And this is the bad news. This is what we... See, when we look at God's people 
forever. When we look at the story of God's people through, throughout the, the history of Scripture, in the Old Testament, God's people, we see this. The story of his chosen people are people that have been given the commands of God, given the revelation of God, the oracles of God, who repeatedly disobey him, who fall short of it, who, do not, who are not perfect in the, the eyes of the law. And God asks questions of them in the Bible. He pleads with them. He says, when are you going to trust me? When are you going to obey me? Are you going to ever obey and believe me? Will you ever remember me? Will you turn to me and find life? And we see this pattern over and over again of, of God's grace to them, their celebration of that grace, their falling into sin repeatedly, and God continually, continuing to give his power to them and favor to them and accepting them in spite of who they are. I was at a dinner party recently to celebrate a friend's wedding, and it was one of those weddings where um, I, didn't, I didn't know uh, 95, 99% of the people there. And so we had assigned seats, and I, I sit down with my wife, and uh, I didn't know the people around me, and we get into good conversation, and I'm sitting next to this uh, Jewish woman, raised Jewish, continues, you know, that's her faith, that's her heritage, that's her uh, religion. She's talking about her child, about raising her child. She's talking a lot about anxieties, about I'm just so worried about her, I mean, I'm trying to do the best I can. She didn't want to make a mistake at all with, with her, her, her daughter. She said, I just, I just hope that I, that I get it right, that I please God, that I don't mess up. I just I don't want to have any regrets. So I took a chance. Why not? I said something like this. I said, you should know better. This has been the story of God's people forever. He's commanded them not to fail. He's given them his word, and they repeatedly fail to obey him. The Jewish people are forever reminded of their need for a Savior, a Messiah, because we forget God's laws, because we do disobey, because we do sin, because we do face our worst fears, which are, uh, what if I fail? And that's why God tells his people over and over again through the, through the Pentateuch, Pentateuch, through the prophets, through the, the wisdom literature of, of, of his word, that, that he's sending a Messiah to us, that he's sending someone to take our, our punishment for our sins, and we would take his life, that he would, be, he would do exactly what we are supposed to do, yet failed to do, so that in trusting in him, he would be our king forever and our, our savior forever. The point is not to be good in God's eyes, but to put our hope in the one who is truly good, she paused, had a pensive look on her face, and then replied, I wonder where our food is. <laughs> Something of that nature to quickly change the subject. I was like, well, my work is done here. <laughs> we, we know how we want to live. We're, we're not much different than this woman. and We know how we want to live. We know what, we're, what we ought to do. And our obedience relies on the power of God. In the Bible, there's, there's an emphatic emphasis on this. That apart from the Spirit of God working out in us, we have no ability to please God. So what does the psalmist ask of God? What does he pray? He says, please, I beg you, judge me not according to my record, according to my character, but according to your record, according to your promise. I entreat you, be gracious to me. Have, let me find favor with you. Go out of your way to look at me in a way that looks beyond my faults and remember your promise to me. 
Because apart from your faithfulness, I'm lost forever. That's what he's saying. Because the ability to obey God is a result of God's favor and grace. Two words used in in verse 58. Favor. That's favor. Grace. Unmerited goodness from God. This can be our confession. This can be our prayer. This is our second one. Do not treat me according to your to my record, but according to Jesus' record. Can we think about that? When we think about obedience, can we come to a place of asking that of God? God, look at me. Treat me according to the perfect, perfect record of Jesus. Not my record, but His. And so as I delight to obey in you, and as I strive to obey in you, continue to be faithful to your promise that your love for me is, is not on the basis of that work that I did, that oh, oh, the command I obeyed, but because of the commands that Jesus obeyed perfectly, and my trust is him, and my hope is him. Verse 59. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Obedience must be a, com- a companion of confession and repentance. The Bible describes a, a habit that can be formed in the life of the person that will enhance deeper communion with God. And that is the habit of, of confession and repentance. This is serious thought, serious action. And when they go together, it makes a, a very happy combination. Well, have you ever acted without thinking? That leads to uh, regret. Have you ever thought without acting? That leads to you know, laziness and, and regret. But something happens when there is intense thought and action. Something beautiful happens. This is a, a, a habit of God's people, that we would think deeply, that we would search our heart, that we'd let God search our, our heart, and that we would have confession. Confession is just saying, I realize what happened, I realize what's in my heart, and I am sorry. And then repentance is actually, and I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to turn from that and towards you for life. So here is the confession that he has. Here is the, the confession of obedience. Search my heart and reveal to me any way that is not glorifying to you and make me more like Jesus. Is this a habit for you? Is this a habit of confession in your life daily throughout the day? God, would you search my heart? Let me know what's in there. Show me my blind spots so that I can acknowledge them. Say that I'm sorry and turn from those things and turn to you for life and forgiveness. This makes for such a happy combination in our life. And obedience, true biblical obedience, is is never found without, without repentance. Let's keep going, verse 60. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commands. Obedience must be actively pursued. Here's, the, here's the, the, the conviction that we have, the command of obedience. It must be actively pursued. The writers of the Bible assume that obedience is a skill that needs to be taught. It's a skill that needs to be learned. We actually get better at obeying God. It should develop over time. And here's the great encouragement for that. As we seek to daily obey God, we will gain a greater skill in knowing what he desires knowing what is right, knowing his commands and the good of those commands, and knowing how to obey him. This is a, a practice, putting to practice what, what we believe in our faith. Obedience requires effort. And you may be thinking, well, how, how does this work together? Because we've been talking a lot about 
the favor of God and the power of God and the grace of God. And I've mentioned this quote to you before that differentiating between effort and earning. You see, obedience is, uh, it is opposed to earning. God's grace is opposed to earning. We do not earn it, but it is not opposed to effort. That there ought, ought be this grace-filled effort in our life to fix our heart and eyes on Christ and to run with endurance to Him. We see this in Scripture all the time. And as we do that more and more, we get better at it. We become more fit to endure pursuing God. It's something that we grow to uh, get better at. And because of God's working in us, we can work to please Him. Because of His life and His Spirit working in our life, we can obey Him. It is possible to please God through our obedience. We can pursue Him. We can fix our attention on Him and work hard to follow His rules. Here's the confession for verse 60. Give me greater skill and knowledge for how to obey you as I fix my eyes on you. This is the cry of of the heart of someone who desires to obey God. Will you help me get better at that? Will you give me greater skill and knowledge to, to know how to do that? It is not wrong for you. Do not be ashamed to be in a place to say, I know God requires much of me and I don't even know how to do that. Well, that's why the Bible encourages us to to pursue these things, to get in a habit of thinking like this. And we get better at obeying God. It's a great thing. I hope that gives you hope and encouragement in your pursuit of obedience. You say, I may, I may not be doing it well today, but God help me to, to fix my eyes on you and to run with endurance and, and to get better at this tomorrow. We're halfway through, people. See, you were so scared. Let's keep going. Verse 61. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. Obedience must require a great deal of trust in God. It's important to remember that obedience may lead us down a path of suffering, not prosperity. When our expectations for how we think life should go, if we are a, a good Christian person who's uh, working really hard to examine our heart and to think on God and to make good decisions and stay out of trouble and have the right friends and, and read our Bible, it is good to know that sometimes our expectations of how life might turn out don't match up with reality. And this does not mean that God has abandoned us. It does not mean that we have not received God's favor in our life. It is no indication that His favor and grace and love for us has diminished in any way. We are, looked, we are, we are we're encouraged instead to consider Christ. Think of this, who was full of grace and truth, and He was perfect. He lived in perfect obedience, and yet his, this path of obedience to God led Him to the point of death. The Bible tells us that God can be trusted and that he will never mislead us. This means that when we believe and behave in the ways that he's instructed us to live and behave, the attitudes we should have according to his righteous rules, as our psalmist says, your rules are right, they, that we don't have to fear. We do not have to fear to put, our, to put our attention to his commands and say, I'm going to follow you. And even if this means times of suffering and seasons of disappointment, I can trust you. 
Peter even tells us in the New Testament that for those who suffer with their faith pointed to Christ, the Holy Spirit will provide an unusual measure of blessing on that person. So obedience is, is multidimensional. We see that obeying God actually pleases God and will bring blessing in our lives, but we see clearly that even though we obey God and love Him and pursue Him, we're not guaranteed health. We're not guaranteed prosperity. We're not guaranteed an ease of life. We're not guaranteed the life of somebody else who we want to be like. But there is a guarantee. The guarantee is that God will be with us and He will strengthen us and He will make His presence known to us even in the times of great difficulty. And here's the beautiful part, that as we identify with the suffering of Christ and the difficulty of Christ, we will identify with His glory. Consider Christ. And so here the psalmist is saying, things are bad, but that doesn't mean that you've abandoned me, and that doesn't mean that I am going to neglect your word. When my expectations don't match up with reality of how life is going, I'm still going to remember you. I'm still going to obey you. I'm still going to pursue you. Here's our confession. God, you are with me even in times of difficulty, and I can trust you. Has that been relevant for your life? Have you thought about that? Has that been, is that meaningful for where you are today, where you have been? To trust God even when you're confused, when you're sick, when you're hurting. God is with you. And these confessions, when we say these things, it doesn't mean that at this moment you have this confession in your life at 100%, but sometimes we confess these things that we want to form habits in our heart. We actually tell our heart how to feel and what to believe. So we're preaching to ourselves, and so use this to preach to yourself. God, you are with me even when things are bad. God, you are with me even when I don't even feel that you're with me. Verse 62. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Obedience must give way to joyful thinking. There are times when we, think about this, there are times that we must obey even when we don't want to. And I know that's a very real thing in our life. But that is never the pattern that God desires for us. That is never the normal way that he desires for us to obey. Just, be, just do it. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. I don't care that you're unhappy. Just obey my commands. The, Bible talks, the way the Bible talks about obedience might surprise you. It's an act of joy. It's a response to our joy and love for God it's, uh, and pleasure and affection for Him. We know that we love God when we obey His commands and His commands aren't burdensome to us. That's what the Bible says. We actually want to obey His commands. That's when we know we're in our sweet spot with God. That we are actually obeying Him and we are enjoying that. In verse 62, He doesn't set an alarm clock. He does not set an alarm clock to get up at midnight to worship God to pray to God and to reflect on Him. He is, he is awakened by a joy in His heart. Troubling thoughts awaken us all the time. I know what that's like. You know what that's like. Anxiety, fear, worry. An image comes into your mind in the middle of the night through a dream or through... It, it disrupts your life, your sleep, your peace. And, it, and, and you cannot get back to sleep. Worrying about a deadline at work and all that's on your plate and all the to-do list that you have tomorrow and you just cannot sleep. 
fear over the safety or well-being of your children. A thought comes into your mind, and, and some, some wicked, dark thought comes into your mind and says, what if this happened to your kid? What if this happened to someone you love, and you cannot get back to sleep? Anxiety regarding a visit to the doctor. Worrying. We know what it's like to be awake because of worry, fear, and anxiety. Do you know what it's like to be awake as a result of joy? You could probably count those times on one hand. Thinking about somebody that you like, thinking about a, a great new promotion, a new job that you got, thinking about the great opportunities that are ahead of you that just keep you awake and you're saying, this is great, I can't wait for tomorrow to come. But those are probably much more fewer instances than the other kind. This is what's happening in, in our psalm. He's saying, I'm awakened by joy. When I think of you, when I think of who you are, when I think of your word and your commands, I cannot sleep. I cannot help but just think about, I can't wait for tomorrow. Why wait for tomorrow? How about right now? These are powerful emotions. Powerful enough to influence our actions, our attitudes, our behaviors throughout the very next day. If you have a bad dream, your next day is, is broken. I mean, you got to start, you gotta, that's, a, that's a wasted day, you start over the next day, right? If you had a hard night, that day is tough. Well, it influences our life. So influence, how much more can uh, joy in God influence our day? We may give up a lot of things for the people we love, but when you give up sleep for somebody, that's real affection. You ever given up sleep for somebody? You really love that person. Give up, give, the psalmist is giving up sleep for God. He doesn't have to set an alarm clock. He is awakened by joy. And it comes from a changed heart that is motivated by a love for God to please and obey Him. The Bible shows us that God is profoundly pleased with our efforts to obey Him. Like a good father is, He desires our obedience. And when we have an effort to please Him, it brings Him a tremendous amount of joy. And so we should think on that. What makes God happy? And I don't want you to think, I, I'm afraid of what He thinks about me. But this is a different kind of desire. It's a love for Him. It's a, it's a pleasing of a child to, to, to make their parent happy, not out of manipulation, not out of fear, but out of joy and delight. Imagine what that relationship could be like. So here's our confession. I have nothing to fear when my thoughts are occupied with you. It's saying, God, would you fill my thoughts? Would you occupy my mind and my heart? Can my attitudes and my day be, be influenced because I'm thinking about you and not about my trouble? Verse 63, I'm a companion of all who fear me, of those who keep your precepts. Obedience must be sharpened and celebrated in community. If we pick out community based on the parts of community that we like, we've actually killed the purpose of community because the purpose of community is to give a visible expression of the grace of God. If we hang out with people that only agree with us in our life choices, we have missed the point of community. If when someone hurts us, we break up with them, no longer their friend, we have missed the point and purpose of God's community for us. 
everyone says we want deep community. We want fellowship. We want, we want relationships that we can connect with. We want to live life with people. And when it becomes difficult and painful, we often run the other way. What does this have to do with obeying God? He's thinking, I think the pastor is just putting this in there to get us to like be involved in the church more. What does this have to do with obeying God? It has so much to do with obeying God. The gospel community is the context that God has created out of his own wisdom and delight for the gospel word to take root into our life and to make us more like Jesus. Urging us to obey God and to drive out sin. This is where we confess our sins to one another in connected relationship with each other, where we extend forgiveness and grace and kindness to people that are different from us, where we establish accountability and say, can you tell me when I am neglecting to be obedient to God? Can I tell you, can we have that relationship? Where we rebuke and encourage, and sometimes in the same sentence, sometimes in the same day. And also, it's the context where we celebrate God's growth, where we see change in people's hearts, and we say, great job, you're not the same person that you were last year. I see God working in you. Let's celebrate what he has done. I have an admission, and I have a, a confession to make, and, and it often comes up in conversations with, with many of you, and, and sometimes when I make this admission, there's great shock. And here's the admission. I am a bona fide introvert. Frankly, y'all make me exhausted, okay? <laughs> No, that wasn't the right word. <clears throat> Edit that. It's correct. No. Uncomfortable. Tired. This has nothing to do with you. This, now listen, I get drained when I am out doing things. Even when those things are really fun. Even when I'm doing my favorite stuff, I get tired. I get weak when I'm in large crowds. I research everything, even characteristics of what an introvert looks like. I, I research these things and say, yeah, that's me. I have that. I was very quiet as a kid. When I walk into a room that I've never been to, into, one of the first things I do is look for the exits. What energizes me is focusing deeply on something that is really important to me. But here's the thing. I need you, and you need me, and you need people that have nothing in common with you but their love for Jesus, plain and simple. We cannot excuse this. We cannot get away from this. The Bible does not give us permission to just pursue life with people that we like a lot. And so we willingly pursue the mingling of inconveniences in our life, of this broken life, to build up one another as we pursue Christ together. This is what he's saying, and this has a lot to do with obedience. What is it? What's the dimension of obeying God? Well, it is, it's obeying him and how he has, in the New Testament, we see Jesus gathering a people together and saying, okay, you guys are different. Sacrifice for one another. Be inconvenienced by one another. Pursue one another. Because I promise if you do that, it'll give a great context for you becoming more like Jesus. But if we only make community that works for us, how will we ever be called out on anything? How will we ever grow? How will we ever be spurred on to obey anything that God says if we only get with people that disagree with us where we like to disagree? And this requires 
an identity that is firm and founded in, in God and his, and his people that he has created. Here's our confession. Since my identity is in, is in your acceptance of me, I can joyfully pursue community with others. I am freed up to let people know who I am because I am okay with God. My acceptance is in him. My identity is in Christ and what he thinks of me. So my worst fears of you knowing who I am and knowing my faults and calling me out on weaknesses, that's okay because it sharpens me. It encourages me. And we need that. We need each other. Let's close it off in verse 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. There's a final admission here in verse 64. The whole earth is full of your love. Started out with, you are my portion. You are mine. I have you, and that is enough for me. But wow, there is so much more that I don't know. Do you see what's happening there? I have you, and that's all that I need. But wow, there is so much more, and I want that too. Your earth is full of your love. There is so much I don't know. Teach me, then he says. He says, teach me your statutes. Obedience must never find its limit. That's our final confession, our final commandment of obedience. Must never find its limit. We... We must never get to a place where we say, well, what does it mean to obey God? Well, I have the Ten Commandments. It's about knowing and loving God. It's, and every day we might be so inclined to think, I think I'm at a great place in my life. I'm at a good resting place. I have some essential tools that I've acquired over time in my faith for godly living. I have said uh, no to a lot of sins and yes to a lot of good things. I have some realistic expectations of what I can do in my life and, and what that looks like. Uh, I, I'm in a place of relatively smooth sailing with God. If this were my life from here on out, then, then I think I've le- lived a very full and good life. And I, if I can keep this pace, then wonderful. I will, I will be on my deathbed and I will say, this has been good. But the psalmist has a much different idea. He doesn't see a limit to his, ob- his obedience. He doesn't see a limit to knowing God. When our aim is God, we desire never to get to a resting place where we say, I've had enough. I think I'm at a good place. When we truly love and desire God, we will, we will keep going and running towards him until we fully know him as he fully knows us. And that is going to take a long time. But that's the promise that we've been given. That's the hope that we have, that we will, that we will fully know as we are fully known. And that is our aim. That's Paul's aim in the New Testament as he tells us. So we keep learning. We keep growing. We keep saying, here is how God has, has taught me now, but, but I am on a trajectory of, of, of still knowing him. I, I feel like I know him a lot, but I must know him very, very little because he is infinite. So God, your earth is full of your love. Teach me. Continue to drive me closer to you. Help me to keep growing. Keep stretching my neck out so that I can look to you and know more of you. And here's our final confession. Take me to new heights and depths and breadths of knowing who you are. Do you have that drive? Do you have that desire? God, take me further. Teach me more. I am limited in my thoughts. I am not infinite in my being, but you are. Continue to teach me who you are. Without a, I want to, actually, can I have our worship team come up? I want to close with the Lord's Supper.
I want to just go directly into this together. And I want to put up a final slide, and it's basically these final confessions of all these verses. And I want to think about this, and I just want to repeat these to you, and I want to, I want to mention how everything that we do, I mean, in these eight verses, basically, if, if we had just these eight verses, we would have enough. I have you, Lord, and all of you, and you are enough for me. Do not treat me according to my record, but according to the record of Jesus. That's what this meal means for us. That Jesus died in our place, that he has given himself for us. He says, I am your portion. Don't come with any money. Don't come with any obedience. Come with your need for me because I have supplied all the food for you. I've supplied this meal in, in, in my own life. I've substituted my perfection. I've taken your sin and so that you can take my righteousness. And by faith, we look to Christ, and we are not seen uh, based on our record, our character, but the record and character of Jesus. Search my heart and reveal to me any way that is not glorifying to you and make me more like Jesus. This is our hope. We come to this meal and we say, God, would you nourish me? Would you search me? Would you uh, show me how I'm not like you? Help me be less like Pete and more like Jesus. Put your name in there. Give me greater skill and knowledge for how to obey you as I fix my eyes on you. We come to this meal and, and we come to God and we say, God, I am, I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I've hit my limit. Would you teach me how to go further? Would you teach me how to become actually better at obedience? Would you teach me the skill and, and knowledge that I need to know you and to please you and to enjoy you? Would you take my head and turn it and, and, and like a bit and bridle in a horse's mouth and steer me in the right direction because I need your help? God, you are with me even in times of great difficulty and I can trust you. Wherever you are, you're going to come to a season of this. You might be there right now. And your confession as we take this meal is saying, God, you're, you're present with me now. We believe that in this meal, as we trust in Jesus by faith, he's, he's, he's spiritually present, nourishing us, encouraging us, reminding us, I have not forgotten you even when it feels like I have. You know, look, think of the context of this meal. Jesus is having this meal with his, with his closest friends the night before he dies. So he's saying, I'm, I'm with you. I have nothing to fear when my thoughts are occupied with you. This is a habit. We take this meal every week to form a habit, to remind ourselves that we need to occupy our thoughts and attitudes and behaviors with God. We need to think on these things, and as we think on these things, it drives out fear, it drives out sin. Christ is exalted in our life, and our joy is maximized. Since my identity is in your acceptance of me, I can joyfully pursue community with others. You know, we take of this meal, and the Bible says that we take of of it uh, as from one loaf of bread because we are many members in one. You know, this isn't just about our faith, individual faith with God. It is about God uh, pouring out his love on us as a people, as a church, for Holy Cross Church. Like we are bound by faith and love for Jesus together and we need each other. So this is a confession of, of our need for not only the grace of God, but the grace of, of other people. And lastly, take me to new heights and depths and breadths of knowing who you are. Every time that we take this meal, we are one day closer to being with Jesus forever. That is great. What a great thing to celebrate. Every time we take this meal, we are reminded that God, God, you are, you're, we are one day closer to being with Jesus. 
And that day prepared for us is one that is very good. It is a feast that, that will feed us forever. We will never be hungry. It is a feast that will satisfy us. And so take me there. Give me a foretaste of that as I take of this meal. Teach me. Give me a foretaste of what it will be like to be with you forever, knowing your love fully as you fully know me. Let's pray for our meal.